breaking title to ask the question why we live and then we die I think I'm fine maybe I'll write you from the other side all right well uh, this is the last episode of the first season of the dying to tell you podcast because we are fun and cool chris and i thought it would be fun and cool to and cool uh, and cool to <laughs> look back at the interviews that uh, i did this year and um do a clip show which is i mean we both grew up in the 80s and i think at some point in every series they did a clip show that's true where yeah <laughs> You kind of recap. Yeah, I just thought that would be fun to look back at, at what we've done because I think we've come a long way and um, I'm really proud of what we've done this with this so far. So, Yeah, me too. And me too. so Chris got a bunch of clips together from the interviews that we did and um, I have no idea what's coming. So you're going to get just a, a very raw reaction <laughs> <laughs> of uh from what we hear when as chris plays these clips yeah so take it away mr rock all right sounds good uh you know one of the things i did too when i was going back i was trying to remember you know when you hear a sound it brings up memory it's kind of like a smell it brings back a lot of sense memory from yeah. the time that you experienced it i think i had one of those and it took me back to the first episode aaron Something about hearing Aaron's voice and his story took me back to hmm. feelings of, I don't know, the fall and Thanksgiving. And uh, I, that was kind of an interesting uh, thing for me. I wasn't planning on starting with Aaron, but I think I will um, just because that, okay. that came up for me. So I'm going to play Aaron's uh, clip for you and we'll be right back. So, yeah, it was pretty devastating. And I was this ever all on the same day, same day. A lot can occur in one day. Yeah. Yeah. Your whole life, your, and little did I know my whole outlook on life. And I, cause I claim to be a spiritual cosmic thinker. My whole outlook on life in the universe started to change on that day. Mm. Okay. Now get this. My dad, he takes me or I bump into him in the hallway later or just i don't know five minutes later after i paced around and he hugs me and he says aaron i wish it was me yeah okay okay i'm good yeah yeah it's it's good to, it's good to tell the story yeah i haven't totally done this before except on the written page a little bit yeah yeah I remember when we recorded that. I guess it must have been a little bit after we recorded that because we were talking about you and I were talking about it, and that was something that uh, struck you. Um, was was that interaction between him and his, him and his dad? Yeah. Um, Sorry, I feel like I started really heavy. <laughs> you you really did. My God, I didn't plan on um, coming out of the gates with, with Aaron. <laughs> Just so insightful and sad and um yeah no it's fine i i mean i appreciate it and he was the first and yeah i mean it was so perfect he was he was such a catalyst for this whole thing to start in the beginning man 
Yeah, somewhat. So many thoughts. You know, I I see and meet a lot of people who are sick, and um, any time that it's somebody who's younger and their parents are still around, that's a that's a recurring theme. Is you know nobody mm-hmm. should outlive their children, and you know wishing that they could take it away, wishing they could take their place, take the place of their child. You know, in this time, in this pain. One of the things that um, struck me as I was listening just now is uh, something that almost everybody who we've interviewed so far has said, which is, I haven't told this story in this way to this point. Right. And it was really good for me to be able to do that. And I think that, I mean, Aaron said that everybody that we've interviewed has said that in some way or another. The whole idea of this was helping people tell their stories so that others could benefit from it. But mm. the the reality is that telling the story is of benefit to the person who's telling the story as well. And I guess I just didn't, um, I hadn't really thought that through in that way. Yeah. One of the reasons that clip spoke to me was exactly that, you know, like the idea that we're witnessing and everyone that listens to that, you're able to witness someone work through that in a very fresh and raw way. Aaron obviously had written a lot. He had thought a lot about death and dying. And yet we were still some of the first people he was able to express that, you know, as strangers, he was able to express that to us uh, by talking. And it was a very powerful moment. Um, Yeah, it really was. Because I remember being surprised when he said, I haven't, I haven't said this to anybody effectively. Mm. I've written about it, but I haven't really talked about it like this. And that's, that was really, that was really quite moving, I thought. Yeah. Is, uh, is there another Aaron clip? There, there is. All right. And I'll, uh, you're going to save, save your thoughts. Wait. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, so that was Aaron, and that was one, and I was we were just kind of talking on the side there that we had six people that we interviewed for season one, and then with the other episodes, Reflections, and with Nancy coming back for her follow-up on the holidays, that was about 15 episodes total. And we've been doing this since um, October 30th was the first release. Or I think we I think... released it on the 2nd. Was it the November 2nd? That's right. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. So, and we've been doing this since November 2nd. And I think that's why when I heard Aaron's voice, I had this sense memory come up for me of Thanksgiving and fall and a lot of, a lot of emotional, mm-hmm. you know, good gratefulness, a lot of um, appreciation because of his story, you know. And I think that that made, honestly for me, that made this last Thanksgiving very special and meaningful just thinking about you know his situation and other people's situation so it took me back to thanksgiving when i heard aaron <laughs> yeah i mean i spend a lot of time talking to people who are dying but i was spending more time than usual thinking and talking about people who were dying and really had uh only just it was really right before Thanksgiving that we, I mean, just a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving that we put this out and um, had talked to Aaron's family and they were so grateful for 
the recording and they were grateful for helping us helping Aaron tell his story and um yeah so that it was really it was a very grateful feeling this mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. yeah yeah you can see that okay well are you ready for another clip shoot gonna go for another clip this is a little bit randomized for me too so we'll see uh but i'm gonna play okay i'm gonna play another clip for you here you go I'll tell you what, I'm a much better caretaker than I am a patient. It's Uh hard. Hard to let go of things. Well, and I've done it all my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. And from the time my husband retired until now, I've been taking care of him. Mm -hmm. Now he's taking care of me. Mm -hmm. And that is a... I'm very thankful and gracious with him about it, but that's kind of hard to let go of. What's what's hard to let go of? Like having him wait on me instead of the other way around and stuff when you're sick. <sighs> just Nancy's just so sweet. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I mean, I think you're hitting on all these um, on these themes that I come across a lot of times, but the paradigm shift for people who, even if they weren't completely caregivers like Nancy was, right? Nancy mm-hmm. was a, a caregiver of everybody, um, and especially with her family and with her husband. But even if a person's not a, a caregiver in that sense, people who are very sick or coming to the end of their life inevitably reach a point where they are no longer the independent person that they were. Mm-hmm. And little little pieces of freedom, independence, autonomy get whittled away, mm-hmm. and um, they start to realize that the the paradigm is shifting, and they are no longer the the independent person that they used to be, and that they are now dependent on you know, their loved ones Mm -hmm. for support. It's a very difficult transition. It goes to, to dignity, um, identity, these things, I mean, just how you define yourself. A a lot of times it's about having to rewrite that story of who you are. Um, If you can no longer be the caregiver, if you can no longer be the independent person, um, then who are you? And right. Um, right. it's not in our culture, probably in most cultures, it's not a highly valued position to be a dependent. As you rewrite that identity for yourself, as a person is rewriting their identity, they really have to, it's a struggle a lot of times to figure out, okay, if I'm not that, what am I? Who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, and some people do it really graciously. <laughs> And some people struggle a little bit more. And it seemed like uh, Nancy was, I mean, she said she was having a hard time letting that go. Mm-hmm. But um, I think she also did it pretty graciously. Um, she said it was hard, but she didn't seem upset about it or angry about it or sad about it in, in the way that you might think if somebody was having a really hard time with it. But mm-hmm. um it's real. I mean, that is a that is a huge um, adjustment for people. Do you have and that conversation a, with people in the in in the hospital in the in the in that setting a lot? A ton. 
yeah. a ton. So, I mean, just last week I was having this conversation with a guy in the ICU and, um, you know, he's thinking, he knows that his life is going to be different now, even if he lives through this, mm-hmm. which we're not sure about. He knows it's not life is, his life is going to be different. And, uh, he brought up four or five issues in the, you know, 30 minutes I was sitting there talking to him. And one of them was, I don't want to be a burden on people. Mm. You know, that's a, that's a difficult thing for, um, somebody to deal with is feeling like they're a burden. There's just, there's no way around it. It is a burden. And that's what I told him. I was like, look, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's not a burden for your family to care for you. Right. It is a burden. There is burden associated with taking care of somebody. And for a lot of people, it's a burden that their family is willing to bear, happy to bear. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's a little bit of uh, negotiation between the person who's being cared for and the caregiver about the way that they give and receive that care. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, uh, there. there's grace in um, receiving as well as giving Yeah. Um, when it comes to care. If, if a person can let it be, it's a really beautiful thing to receive the care of your family. You know, like I said, it's difficult because it's a complete paradigm shift. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to do it. I mean, I don't want to <laughs> Right. I don't want to be dependent on somebody. Yeah. for for my you know, well-being right now. Yeah. That's, that's not what I want. Well, most people, and, uh, you know, most people would think, "Oh, I'm a bur-, like you said burden. Burden is the word um that they don't want to be somebody that, you know, requires other people to do stuff for them. Most people don't want that, but it is a right. I love the way you said like grace uh, there's grace in receiving. And just opening up to that care. That's really beautiful. There was a doctor who was talking about this thing and said something along the lines of, <clears throat> we all know there's there's joy in giving. Mm-hmm. And um, in order for somebody to give, there has to be somebody to receive. And so there is a way in which you are allowing somebody to have the joy of caring for you. Mm. If you can get your mind around that, yeah, right. It's, I mean, that's a it's a big it's a big concept and a big shift. But if if you can participate together in that giving and receiving of care, it can be a really um, beautiful gift for both the giver and the receiver. clip that I think is somewhat related. All right. I think people often don't realize the cycle of grief you go through as a caregiver. You know, I think when people think about like end of life and death, they're like, oh yeah, you know, you'll, once they die, you'll experience all these things. But when it comes to Alzheimer's disease, especially you were dealing with 
grief while your person's still living or not just also but like many of these like terminal illnesses especially if you're like the primary caregiver mm-hmm. you are going through literally losing your person while they're still living yeah um and so i do think that like it's it's bigger than hard right like it's bigger than frustrating it's like you go through the resentment you go through the anger you go through i didn't ask for this mm-hmm. right like you go through all of that and the, the thing that has to be stronger yep. than your grief is your love for that person to say like, okay, and I'm going to get up and try my very best tomorrow, even in, even if I failed today. It's a, yeah, it's an active choice. It is an active choice to get up every day and yeah. do this mm-hmm. and doing it while grieving the person that you once knew, grieving the relationship that you had with them and grieving the person that I thought that I was going to be at this point in my life, all yeah. the while still showing up is just so very much. Mm. It's so heavy. And no one gets that unless you like are doing it too. Right, right. For all things caregiver, we turn to Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh man, so many things about that clip. Yeah, the, <clears throat> the reality of people call dementia the long goodbye Mm. and um and it is in a way but it's it's more like um goodbye over and over and over again and and it happens with almost every uh terminal illness that like i said a minute ago little little pieces are whittled away Mm -hmm. and people's worlds get smaller and smaller and people turn turn inward that's a really difficult grief um each little loss is worth grieving you know mm-hmm. you know i can't i can't drive anymore that's a huge loss mm-hmm. i can't stay awake long enough to read the books that i usually read that's a huge loss i can't go and do my own grocery shopping anymore Mm-mm. it's a huge loss i can't do my own laundry i mean all these things that we take for granted and sometimes complain about and yet they're symbols of our independence and um and when we lose them we lose little little parts of ourselves mm-hmm. and it's difficult for the person experiencing it and um and when the person experiencing it can't express that anymore for whatever reason, it's um, it's also I mean it's it's difficult for everybody around, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but caregivers especially. Yeah, and man, I loved what she said in that clip about it being a choice mm-hmm. to show up every day, which is um, kind of gets to what we were talking about a minute ago regarding um being a burden it is it's a burden mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no there's no doubt about it the caregiving is a burden but the person's not the burden mm-hmm. and um the caregiver is choosing every day to show up and i mean i hope that people listened to that episode and i hope they took away from that episode that i mean this is that was gold the fact that it, it, even if you mess up one day or don't do don't do a perfect yeah, job yeah at being a caregiver that's okay you can wake up tomorrow morning and do it again you do it again and, yeah um, every just, every just time show up yeah every time's an every opportunity time. yeah 
Yeah. We keep going around the theme of, I don't know, I'm struck by the fact that a lot of this goes around identity too. Not only are you Mm. grappling with mortality, illness, discomfort, pain, all of the things that go along with that, that idea of an identity crisis in the middle of it, when you have to let go of (laughs) parts of yourself or behaviors that you're used to, or you take for granted. That was really uh, very eye opening for me. Nancy talked Mm. about it. I mean, I I think almost everyone we talked to talked about that on some level, but they all come at it from very different um, directions too. And then to hear it from Mm -hmm. Jessica seeing, you know, she is, watching from outside of her mother, seeing her mother have to give up her identity. She sees that from the outside. And when she would talk about how her mom was just incredibly sassy and engaged and a leader and, and to have to witness her mother giving up those parts of herself involuntarily was part of the grief that I think we were hearing from Mm. Jessica too. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Definitely. I guess the more I live, the more I do this, the more I work at my job, the more I meditate, even though I'm a terrible meditator. Are you? Um, you know, g- oh, I'm the worst. What? Oh my God. I'm, fa- I'm falling asleep. I'm just like, I'm all over the place. When it's just, but I just keep showing up and doing it, which is, I'm assuming eventually going to pay off. But yeah. Um, yeah. As I think about things slipping away, my, the things that I make my identity, the ego stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, my job and the way that I am, you know, my personality even, you know, all those things can go away. And, you know, obviously the material things go away. And then... And then who am I? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, what's the identity there? Mm-hmm. And when when everything gets taken away, who am I? Mm. I, think, I don't think I have a clip of this, but one of the things that Aaron said to us, or you said at the end of Aaron's episode, what you relayed something that Aaron's doctor told him when he was back in the hospital and dying within the next handful of days and they were trying to hang on and his doctor told him Aaron you're more than your body Mm. and that really strikes me there when you're saying when these things are all taken away from you what are you Mm. and I think his wife Tiffany had shared with us that that was a turning moment for Aaron oh right I'm more than my body yeah Mm -hmm. and he could let go yeah Mm -hmm. it's making me uh, a little melancholy Chris (laughs) I have that effect on me. <laughs> let me pick all the really let me pick all the really sad things. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna play something else for you. All I'm right. gonna switch to a different emotion. I'm not saying that we're going into a positive place, but we're going to a different <laughs> we're gonna go to a different emotion. Some, something different. <laughs> all right. So yeah, it's really, really right. angry during chemo. I was angry at God. Angry at the Lord, yes. Saying, "Why me? This isn't what? fair." Yeah, I'm, you know, paralyzed, partially paralyzed. Um, it's just as you know, it's not. It doesn't make sense. I love you. I've always loved you. I followed you, and it's just like, why? 
So I was really, really angry. I got a little depressed. And then after, okay, I got a lot depressed. And then afterwards, after the first chemo, I suffered some PTSD and some rage. Right. You just, it all comes raging out. And we were at the end of a school day at a community day. And I was just, and I don't remember what I said, but it was a raging monster beast. And so yeah. my mom lives up here and she's a flight attendant for Southwest. So she was gone on a devil. And so I took off and I went and stayed in her house um, for several days by myself. You were just feeling? I was overwhelmed. Full of rage? Lots and lots. Anger? Yeah. Sadness? All of that? I think the sadness was like under, hidden beneath the rage. So once I was able to work through the rage, then I got really sad. So being by myself, I allowed myself to work through it. And there was a lot of crying. There was no more anger by the time I came home. Hmm. Nancy B. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I've always thought, and I think I've heard people say, anger is like a, a secondary emotion, like a mask emotion mm-hmm. overlaid on top of fear or sadness. I've found that to be most of the time the case, that there's some kind of threat and that that's when that's when anger comes up but a, a person of faith like that who has this belief in a god who's good and has up to that point gotten most of what they wanted out of life mm-hmm. and even when cuz i think at that point she was talking about the second occurrence of her mm-hmm. um of her brain tumor and so i like even when bad things happened, she made it through and felt as though, you know, she had gotten through because of the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And then for it to come up again, I, I just, I don't know what other emotion there would be. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's fear and some, um, you know, just being overwhelmed by the circumstance, but man, I would be just, yeah, I would be so upset. Yeah, if that had happened to me. Yeah, um, and when she's saying I've 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 followed you, I've I've loved you, I've I've done all the things, and then I mean, you could hear it in her voice too when she's like, "Why?" <laughs> you know, that's yeah. I know she's yeah. she's just telling us that you know far removed from the experience, but that was real. Why? And do you see that? I mean, yeah. how often? I'm sure it's it's daily for you. Hmm. Or is it like? Do you get that same well, thing in the in the hospital? People are like, "Why, why me?" You know, no, I don't get it all that often. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Do you think it's there and they're just not? It's getting processed in another way, or because I'd be surprised. Yeah, I think some of that. I think some of that. I think some people are feeling it and then are a little embarrassed because they know it's. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a futile question to ask. It's uh, and it's like an archetype, right? It's like a right. It's almost a me. Why me? You know, is so everyone uh-huh. would say that everyone wants to know right. that there's meaning behind suffering. You know, right? And why me? And mm-hmm. yeah, and honestly, more often I get people who say because I'll I'll head down that road a little bit with people a lot. You know, just say you know, are you feeling? You know, does this feel unfair or, mm-hmm. you know, um, they 
will often bring that up. They'll say something like, well, I'm not, I'm not asking why me. Mm-hmm. And more often I hear, well, why not me? Oh. Which I think is, I mean, that's pretty insightful, honestly, because uh, we all know that people of faith and people of no faith at all you know, end up in the same, with the same fate, right? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's just nearly, nearly 100% mortality. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a question that I think comes to people's minds, like why? Mm. But they know immediately that the answer is why not? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, yeah. Why not? So really, yeah. that's such a sharp answer to that. I don't think that I had thought that. I love the 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 answer and the insight of why not of, you know, it does happen to everyone and now is my turn. You know, I don't get to decide when my turn is. And I think most people just aren't looking for fairness when it comes to life's circumstances. Yeah. Um cuz they no no better. Most. Like fairness isn't part of it it's not a it's not a measure i think yeah i think most people most people have lived long enough to understand that that's not that's not how it works yeah and i think i've heard you say um you know there's no justice in cancer or any other terminal diagnosis like that you don't there's no balancing of the scales there it just is right right i mean there are there are certainly people that have this kind of belief and that as long as they're faithful, they're going to be healthy, mm-hmm. um, which is a fine worldview mm-hmm. as long as you're healthy. And then when you're not healthy anymore, then something's got to change and yeah. you got to work through that change. And that's um, it's challenging. That's a painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a painful change to make. Yeah. you've been one too many times before. Ended up staring in the bathroom. Maybe you can take my word You haven't got a hurt no more Things about to get much better I wanna make this forever clip you ready next you ready let's do it big breath (laughs) i wonder about that too and and right why why me um if i were to have died very quickly i would have been ready not that i would want to ever leave my daughter i i i need to live to be mama i i that the thought of leaving her just cuts me at my knees. Um, and, but I don't know. I, I don't know why me. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a reversal for you. I didn't plan it. I love that. <laughs> but see ya. Oh, you did? No, I'll, you didn't plan that? Well, oh, that's so I mean, great. I know that they both talked about it, but I, it was just, it was a natural thing. But yeah, see ya. Is someone who of, of uh, also of great faith, grappling with the idea of why did I live longer than 
They said I could. No one else had lived with her diagnosis for as long as she has, according mm-hmm. to her doctors, right? Right. And Right. Yeah. And um, again, you know, her her initial answer to my question about why me is, well, God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is a fine answer. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that's her worldview. And that's a little bit of a sticky point for me as well, mm-hmm. because in the same way that um, a person of faith who thinks that they should be healthy and live a very long time or perhaps forever, that doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this idea that um, that God has chosen this one person uh, to make their life okay or make them live longer and not all these other people. I'm not saying that's not the case. And, uh, you know, the Bible is full of lots of people who have been chosen for a particular thing. Mm-hmm. But the question is why? And um, the answer that she came out to in the end is one that I can live with, which is, I don't know, but I'm grateful. Yeah. And yeah. I think that is um, that is an answer. One, it's an honest answer that um, that and that I really appreciate. And um, two, it's an answer that's full of humility. That says, "I don't know why yeah. I have this thing that I love, um, but I am so grateful, and I'm going to do the best I can with the gift I've been given." Yeah. Uh, and I I can't ask for a better answer from somebody of great faith than an answer that has um, honesty and humility wrapped up in it. And I so I really appreciated where where she came out when we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really interesting that it it's not an easy answer, whichever side you land on with it. That's right. Um, why me? I. I don't have long enough. Why me? I've lived longer than expected. You know, both of those are very puzzling, challenging questions for people to figure out. But yeah, I love it. Yeah. And her whole purpose is her family. You know, when we talk about her, her daughter, her husband, her whole family, her kids, her grandkids, and she's just determined to be there as long as she can for them. And, this grace that she's gotten that she lasts longer than people expected allows her to give that to them. Speaking of the, the giving and the grace and receiving, you know, she is absolutely giving back to her family as much as she can in her, right. in her illness. Right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that was a great one. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Sometimes the universe smiles. Um, <laughs> Here's another one. You know, it's it's scary when you find out that the stuff that's supposed to make the cancer go away is made you sicker mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I decided I'm done with chemo. I'm not doing it anymore. Did you make that decision after you got home out of the hospital? Or was that something you said um, when somebody told you, oh, well, this happens with chemotherapy, you said, well, to hell with chemotherapy. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of one of those things that Amy and I looked at each other and said, 
oh, chemo caused this, we're done. Yeah. You know, there wasn't any, you know, there wasn't a week long, you know, let's think about this, that type of thing. It's like, no, I, I, I'm just, I'm done just with, it, with that. I just, I knew in my heart that it was not right. And, you know, just, and I don't want to stop anybody from taking chemo that is going to get better. But there's just so many things that can go wrong. And chemo kills so many things in your body that you need to have. I love, <laughs> I love that um, juxtaposed with what we were just talking about with Sia, right? Mm. I don't know if anybody, <clears throat> I guess uh, some people are listening to the reflections that I do between the interviews. I don't couple know if people, people really like it or people. not, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I I like I love doing that, mm. and I hope that I hope that people are appreciating it, but. Well, um, I love listening to I, them. I think they're great. So I'm just oh good. Well, I like listening to them. I like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I oftentimes will um, I'll make myself cry just thinking about mm. the the people that we're interviewing and that I don't know. Just uh, appreciating the lessons that I'm learning from doing this is just mm. it's great. Yeah. So just this last week, the reflection was about the juxtaposition between. Sia, who is bound and determined to live as long as possible, mm -hmm. and Linda, who said, um, no, thank you, mm -hmm. no more chemo. I'm going to live as long as I live, but um, I'm not I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm going to go skydiving. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And two completely different positions on, on the matter of longevity, mm. so beautiful and um just each courageous in their own way i love that I, I think what i love most about that is um neither is a decision born from fear mm. they're aggressive decisions they're in a positive valence is that is that what i'm yeah trying they're to intentional say? they're like they're, we're active they're after something yeah, yeah. we're yeah. active we are actors we are doing we have agency I'm deciding yeah. to do this. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, part of that is because so, so much of my life I've, I've been a fearful person trying, you know, trying to, and I talked about this in the reflection too, just mm. trying to like see the implications of every decision down that I make forever mm -hmm. <laughs> you know just trying to see the future mm -hmm. of each decision that i make and try in a very fearful way and um and i don't like that about myself mm -hmm. and these ladies have gone here's the situation what are my options who am i and how do i want to be mm -hmm. and they made a decision based on that mm. this is who i am and this is how i want to be and um, and I'm going to do that. Yeah. I'm going to make this next step in line with who I am and how I want to be. And I think that is, um, yeah, I just think that's beautiful. And it's something that I aspire to be. Yeah. And again, I, I'm, I mean, I just did this reflection, so it's fresh on my mind. Mm -hmm. But I, I find myself, again, saying to myself, you don't have to be dying to. Yeah do these kind of courageous right. things you can just do it now yeah yeah god you're 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 and right that, that's that yeah. is <laughs> that's the whole point of this to me yeah. is um helping people see 
um i don't i don't have to i don't have to be dying to to benefit from these things um i can i can take the courage of linda or the courage of sia and um you know make that my own right now yeah it's great you're right that is so uh, i'm just kind of thinking about my own also my my personal experience listening to these conversations i'm not a great decision maker myself you know i don't have the confidence to know that what i'm doing is the right thing i'm doing it i'm getting better but i think i've gotten a lot better over the last year you know being part of these conversations where i can see people mm. grappling with some of the biggest things that you're going to do in life and making a choice and saying no this is the thing i'm trusting my gut so many times linda said that um sia says that almost everyone i think we've talked to has said no i think i'm gonna no i know what i need to do this is coming from inside me i can make this decision nancy k did the same thing i'm gonna do chemo when things weren't working out and they weren't they weren't going the way that it needed to go I'm done doing chemo. I'm done doing the treatments. I'm going to do the treatments. Now I'm done doing the treatments. And both of those decisions are absolutely right. And they come from inside right. them. And that gives me such an inspiration of like, how do you trust yourself in something that important? That's amazing to me. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, uh, it takes a lot of self-knowledge and mm. an understanding of, um, who I want to be and how I want to be in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's what I aspire to. Like I said, it's that, that's, that is the kind of person I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. All right. I'm going to pull up another clip for you. Hang on. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, we have, my husband wish I would talk more. And he mm. wants me to write my, like the, doing this actually, he really wanted me to do because I think it really, it's, we've been just taking care of business and kind of dealing with what's been in front of oh. us. And, you know, here I am a therapist. I talk about this stuff, right. and, but I find I, I don't want, I, I avoid it with him because I see his pain, but I, but this is really opening just even the preparing for talking to you has brought it to the forefront for mm -hmm. us to, for him to talk about his pain. My daughter mm -hmm. and I, we talk and um, in fact, we've been following hospice Julie <laughs> um, yeah. since yeah. I was um, first diagnosed. And we've been talking about the whole process and, um, and even the end stages like that. And, and what we want, like when I first was diagnosed, we really talked, her husband and I and Rob and, and, and Ashley, we talked about just what this all means and what we want to do at this time. And um, so we have just really good communication. I think it's my worry for my husband that it's not the same conversation because um, I think he's, that his loss is going to be pretty profound yeah yeah but this is this is we're on our way there talk yeah more about it yeah yeah hmm. i love that 
I liked I liked how Sia was talking about how she um, kind of shuts down as a even though she's a therapist and she knows it's good to talk about these mm-hmm. things <laughs> like she knows it's good for other people to talk about these things but maybe not but her. when it's you um, yeah I, 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 I do the same thing I mean yeah you know, yeah when when something bad is happening to me my tendency is to shut down and I have to be really mindful of not shutting down for lots of reasons right mm-hmm. that's just not good for me but um i i love that that it got them talking just the idea of doing the podcast got them talking yeah. and i'll tell you that uh sia's emailed me and we've texted a few times since the podcast and people are uh giving her a lot of really lovely feedback about the conversation but she said that she and her husband have been uh talking more and more about stuff as as it's uh, after the podcast. I love and that. So, I love that. Um, hmm. Yeah, so to everybody who is um, listening, it's a it's a good thing to be part of the podcast. <laughs> you'll you'll magically you'll magically talk more with your partner about important things. Um, there is a thing there where we you know but, you can yeah. Is vector the right word? You are you are sort of a vector for these conversations. You you're a third party. You're outside of it. It's easier to bring things up. It makes it easier to talk about these things when there's a different vector instead of like one on one. It's it's a, there's a third party involved and yeah. things open up. Yeah, it's the same reason that people might want to talk to uh, a chaplain at the hospital. Um, even though they have their own pastor that comes to visit, mm. mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a pastor that comes to visit knows them and really has a lot of opinions uh, about how they should do this or how they should do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a third party that is, I'm not, I don't have a vested interest in this, uh, this person's like how they do mm-hmm. it. I just, I just want them to talk about it. I don't know. It just allows those conversations to happen when somebody else is the um, is is involved, or there's another point to it. Um, and, and these things are so difficult to talk about. Yeah, and it's funny that um, that it would be easier to talk about when you're being recorded and right. possibly going <laughs> to let strangers listen right. to it. But it's true. It hap- yeah. I mean, yeah, that's it. Happens. That's easier than <laughs> facing the person you love in your life and talking about some of these really difficult things that it kind of it puts a little filter on it that's easier i don't know yeah it's really funny how that works um but that's how it works yeah this look out (laughs) for me kind of listening to you tell this the the emotion that comes up for me is like anger and frustration thinking shouldn't somebody have caught this (laughs) like shouldn't somebody have done something about this before it got to this point um exactly was that what it was yes and and yeah because if they had then i wouldn't be where i am now 
Right. And, um, you know, why didn't they just as a precaution give me chemo or radiation or something when I had my kidney removed? It's Uh like, well, damn, come on, people. Let's do some proactive things. Right. And it's not necessarily Kaiser's fault, but that was not in the books. It's uh, <laughs> it's so my initial reaction uh, to go, what the hell? <laughs> right. Somebody should have done something. Right. I mean, that is I mean, that is exactly how I felt when when she was telling that story just about how, well, I had it. And then like somebody should have done something. Somebody should have caught this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know how futile that um, that emotional reaction is doesn't it's not helpful. I mean, it's it is true. And that's what comes up for mm-hmm. me. And I think the the longer I live, the less it comes up. But still, when something I I mean, there's just this knee jerk reaction. I don't want to blame somebody yeah. for whatever's happening, and um, as though you can blame it on somebody else, and then it'll go away. But um, that's not what happens. And uh, I see that in the hospital all the time. Everybody wants a reason for for what's happening. Everybody wants somebody to blame for what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think all the time, I don't ever say this to patients and families, but what would you do if you had the exact reason why this happened? It's not going to, it's not going to change the reality of the situation. Doesn't take it away. It doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What, what Linda, I mean, Linda described feeling that, right? And then kind of just letting it go, mm-hmm. <laughs> which right. that was kind of the theme of her, um, that was kind of the theme of her interview altogether yeah. was uh, letting go. And man, she did. She just, I think she realized, well, that's that's uh, barking up the wrong tree. We're not going to get anywhere mm-hmm. by finding somebody to blame for what's happening. Um, I, I got to... I got to do something different. Yeah. And then she did. She just uh, figured it out yeah. and let go of that and started focusing on other things, which is so hard to do. I mean, I'll have something like that happen to me where it's just, I feel like, oh, this is unfair. Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Like somebody's got to, you know, somebody did something, this is wrong. And and then I'll realize, uh, that's not helpful. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then, you know, a day two later, I'm back to my stuff just about, oh, somebody should have done something. <laughs> like, I need somebody to blame. Yeah. And uh, she's she's done a really great job of kind of letting, letting go of the things that aren't going to get her anywhere. Yeah. Not going to get her what she wants. Yeah. I appreciate that she shared the, the, the frustration with it, too, of um, why didn't yeah. do, somebody do something sooner? I mean, it makes me think of when we were talking about earlier, why me and why not me? The simpler question is just why that's what lands on everybody is just why, what is there a reason? And there, you know, there are a bunch of physical reasons. (laughs) Um, right. And I wondered in your experience, how much of that, that you see in people, which is just anger at something, like you said, they need to blame somebody because it has to have a reason. And people grapple with yeah. that and they work through that usually, it seems like, and they come up with 
well, there, you know, maybe there isn't a reason, but, um, you know, do you see that a lot? Yeah. A lot. Mm-hmm. I see it a ton. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I, I participate in it sometimes too. It's just like, how, how could this happen? Mm. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it, I uh, just, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I've talked about this before too, that, um, when you experience somebody who is dying, there's something about it that makes you feel unsafe hmm. and you realize, oh, I'm not safe. Uh, and if you can if you can name something or pinpoint a thing that differentiates the person that's dying from you, you can kind of make up a, a way to feel a little safer again. Hmm. So, you know, like... Uh, a 44 year old I'm 44 so mm-hmm. a 44 year old shows up at the hospital with cancer and no no previous problems and no other medical things going on well shit that's me right and right. um you know my initial reaction is well like, how could this happen like why mm-hmm. what is going on it makes me feel unsafe yeah you know like am I am I that am I that frail right am i that vulnerable uh the answer is yes yes (laughs) (laughs) the answer is yes absolutely i am that frail and that vulnerable and i also have to be able to you know live every day and show up and not be terrified all the time and so i just have to you know we're always seeking these things that make us feel safe um and one of the ways to do that is to find a thing that differentiates that person from me yeah so if you know if that person oh well they smoked so there it is right that's what it is my fence is back up (laughs) that's your yard this is my yard i'm i'm good you smoked (laughs) just needs one little thing one One little thing thing. (laughs) but we all know the reality is right i am vulnerable and frail and um, just as likely to die tomorrow as anybody else. Ain't nobody safe. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. There are some people who are on their way before me. But <laughs> true. Yeah, you can you can affect it in the negative. I don't know if you can affect it in the positive. <laughs> That's right. I I wrote something just this afternoon. Hold on a second. I want to read it to you. Uh, a patient uh, said to me. Because all these people were coming in with looks of pity, oh, uh-huh. being all sad and somber every time they come in. And I was talking to him about it, and he was like, yeah, I'm dying, but only a little faster than the rest of you people. I want to have a good time, too. <laughs> I'm only slightly ahead of you. <laughs> I mean, in the grand scheme, it's really true. Uh, I like that. That's a good. That's a good view on that. <laughs> I, I often say it's uh we're we're all dying. It's just a matter of velocity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, all right, all right. You got more. Yeah, I got more. Just a few more. All right. I'm honestly not sure what this clip is, but I'm gonna just play it. <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> I hope it's good. Hang on. What were you angry about it then? Because you, the chemo had stopped. Hello? Are you still feeling angry about the fact that you, I mean, this is a burden you're going to carry for the rest of your life? Yeah. That and um, 
I mean, that's fair <laughs> to be clear. I think that is a fair thing to be um, angry about. Well, there's, you know, and it's now it's not anger. Now it's we talk through it. Um, but sure. you don't, you know, you're a mom and you see all these other moms. We homeschool and, you know, they're taking their kids on trips. They're doing all this stuff with their kids. They're super moms. Homeschool moms can be super moms. I'm not a super mom, you know. Then I just have one. However, one is just as hard um, because you're everything for that one. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if this is what you had in mind when you picked that clip, but we were talking about dementia being the long goodbye. Mm-hmm. Man, Nancy, she has so much longer. I mean... And and she's not constantly saying goodbye. She's living a life. Yeah, she's got this thing that's just, you know, it's just taking little little things away from her. You know, she's got one leg that works mm-hmm. real well, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you know, she's she's walking with a limp from the time she's twenty four, and you know, uh, she can't she can't be the super mom that she wants to be. Yeah, it's just uh, a lot of little losses all along the way, and got to be difficult. But I mean, what I what I do appreciate about Nancy is, God, she's just it, it is the way to be, um, and I guess that's the only real way to to live a life of joy with this. But man, she's just kind of been like, okay, well, I only got one leg that works, so I guess I'll. You know, limp. I'm gonna I'm and, gonna dance uh, with one leg. You know, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and um, I I'm not able to do everything that I want to do, but the things that I can do, I'm gonna I'm gonna do them. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm gonna. God, she was even during chemotherapy, going kayaking, and yeah, <clears throat> biking, and right. You know, just trying to live her life the way that um, the way that she wants to live, which again is. Uh, back to that Linda Sia thing about who am I and how do I want to be knowing that I have this. You know, the first time Nancy said that she she was in her room a lot and she missed a lot of what was happening in life because she was just so down with mm-hmm. chemotherapy and mm-hmm. just really, you know, feeling depressed and out of sorts. And the second time it came around, she just made this decision. That's not that's not how I want to be. Yeah. That's not who I want to be. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to do it different this time. I think it was really hard for her. I mean, it seemed like it was really hard for her to do that. But she did it. And um, I mean, since then, she's texted me and she said that she's finished out her chemotherapy. I need to, I need to get back in touch with mm. her and make sure she's doing okay. But yeah, she made it through. And uh seems to be things seem to be going pretty well good good yeah i can't imagine it was easy but i think she again the the pain that comes from making an assertive choice about how you want to be and following those values is going to be much less painful than the pain that uh that you experience by being victimized by a thing that you didn't choose for yourself yeah Um, yeah I, I do believe that. I think that's I think that's true. Yeah. I think what came up for me hearing that part of her conversation was also we're both parents as well and the idea of how you're always comparing yourself to Ooh. other people, other parents, and other parent comparison is even more, you know, sharp 
back in the wrong direction. You know, it's so hard. You're, you're always so hard on yourself. And I heard that in what she was seeing is her feeling like I'm not a perfect mom is what she said. You're an, I'm not a super mom is what she said. Right. And that, that yeah. she could be a super mom, but I, I mean, I would push back and say, I think you are. And the idea of your yeah. deficits, just transmuting that into seeing it as differences, because that's what you're living with. So you're just coming at it from a different angle, you know? And I don't know, someone was living, living yeah. with a very long, but terminal diagnosis or however we want to describe that living with that for so long and being able to build a life with that looming over you all the time. You know, I just felt like that was really inspiring. And as a parent hearing the self-reflection of I'm not as good as the other parents and, and, and bringing whatever, whatever is going on in your life into that perspective is really hard yeah. anyway. And I just think, man, I don't know. I think you're being, I think you're being a pretty, I think you are being a super mom. Yeah. Parenting through a, a long terminal diagnosis full of chemotherapy. Yeah. Sounds like super parenting. Yeah. Too, you got, so. you got the cape. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay. Just a few more clips. Are you ready? Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> losing a parent is hard period right and yeah. then losing someone you've cared for for 10 years <laughs> is also really hard um and i think that like there is no system that i can create there is no routine that i can create there is nothing that i can do to um to stop to stop the the train of alzheimer's disease and my mom is going to die. People don't think of it like this, but Alzheimer's disease is a terminal illness. Yeah. When you get that diagnosis, you don't know whether it's going to be four years, 10, 15 years. No one's going to die. Like they are slowly dying. And I think um, it's been slow for a long time. And you're also like, okay, shit. Like she's still, she, she's, <laughs> she's going to go, you know? <laughs> and that's tough. That's really tough. Yeah. No matter how prepared I am, no matter how much you know, Nothing prepares you for the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying so. Something I hear in the hospital a lot is um, it's not long enough. I haven't had enough time mm. with them. This, this is especially with uh, a married couple. They say, you know, I just thought, I thought we'd have a few more years together or whatever. And it's so cliche and we people on my team, we say this all the time, but it is, it's cliche, but it's cliche because it's true, which is no matter how much time you have, it's never enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what came to mind listening to, uh, listening to Jessica talk about her mom, kind of allowing herself to be vulnerable in that, in that moment to say, I've done all this, you know, I've done all this work to to hold this at bay, right? To slow down mm -hmm. everything, to keep her healthy and comfortable as much as possible. And I recognize that all these things that I set up is gonna, it's still gonna come to an end mm -hmm. and um, it's going to be devastating when it does. I think that's, again, 
we don't have to be living with a terminal diagnosis to recognize that. Mm-hmm. That uh, Jason Isbell song, uh, If We Were Vampires, says this whole thing is is knowing that we can't go on forever and that likely one of us is going to live some days alone. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking and um, it's not meant to be heartbreaking. It's meant to be a hopeful invitation to pay attention to what is happening now, Mm -hmm. which I think is the beautiful thing about all of this. It is an invitation for all of us to pay attention to what we're doing right now, because it's true. No matter how long we have, it'll never feel like enough. Yeah. That makes it precious. Yeah. Right. There's scarcity in life. Even if you're young, there is scarcity here. Even if you're not sick, there's scarcity, even though you can't really see it right now. We have an opportunity to make the most of the time that we have. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so great. God, she's, <laughs> Jessica's great. I don't, there's a beautiful sweetness in trying to spend as much time as you have with the people that you love. Right. And I've always thought that of a, there's an old iron and wine song, um, naked as we came. And the line is one of us will spread our ashes around the yard. Almost always makes me tear up because I think of Mm. not of an end, but I think of trying to be with the people that you love for as long as possible. And the inevitable part of it is that one of us is going to be left holding the bag, literally. (laughs) Um, and yeah, it's beautiful. It's sad. It's acknowledging of reality. I just think it's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Jessica's expression of that is so powerful. And I think what I pull out of that part of the conversation too, is that there's just nothing you can do. You know, you do as much as you can. And she's, she is the queen of systems when she came in and is like post-it notes on everything. I'm going to handle this. And she's been handling it for nine or 10 years now. And she knows there's no system to, to me that her, the sentence of there's no system I can create that will stop. This is so, mm-hmm. is so moving to me that you want to do all you yeah. can and nothing, none of the tools that we have can stop this thing. Yeah. And yeah. it's an acceptance of that. And it's, beautiful and sad and courageous and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and one of the great things about it is that she is aware of that. She knows it and it doesn't stop her from doing it. Right. She still is creating the system Mm -hmm. because it's going to make them, you know, her, her mom's life. Right. Right. Um, Not because it's going to make it last forever, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have two more clips for you, Cody. (laughs) Dos mas. (laughs) Go. Do you think about um, how it will be when the time comes? It'll be very peaceful. I've accepted it. Um, I'm not afraid. I'm not mad at anybody. I don't hold grudges about anything. And I've let go of any kind of uh, negativity in my thoughts and life that yeah and and it's like a a breath of fresh air Mm. yeah uh god nancy um 
I really like that. I hope that that's the way it was. I think it was. I think it was. It was peaceful. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start to consider the end of your life, you can really start to uh, make some distinct choices about how you want to be. And, um, you know, her th- talking about, you know, I don't, I don't hold any grudges. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to spend the end of my life wasted on those things. Um, well, yeah, great. Why would I spend the middle of my life wasted on those things? Right. There's, there's no point in that either. Right. So, right. um, <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. 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 I just, I don't know. I think we both feel immensely grateful that we had the chance to talk to Nancy. So great. And to be able to talk to her a couple of times. That was from the, when we were talking over the holidays and she had, again, outlasted the expectations. She was living the great life she wanted to live with her family and loved ones, spending the time, making the memories. Christmas was her favorite. She got to go through Christmas, which is just so, makes me so happy. And to hear her talk about, I'm ready. I'm good. I am. I'm so fine with this. I've let go of all the negative. Really moving for me. Yeah. What a gift to sit at her kitchen table and talk to her about all this. I know. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to end on a clip that is very um, meaningful for me. And I'm going to get through it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a a sobby one, Cody. You know that. I I tear up too easily. This is allowed, but this this th- I uh, it's very moving to me. I am eternally grateful for the fact that we got to experience this together and that we get to share this out too. I think is super important. That I I know that that's what this person wanted as well. And I think I don't know before we play it because it's kind of a it's kind of an ending. We're we're all about the endings. I just want to say that I'm so grateful that we got a chance to talk to all these people and that you and I are given the opportunity to do this, you know, closing out a season and saying, okay, this is, this part's done and we can look forward to the next part. And it's very exciting. It feels like such important work and I'm really glad that I get to do it with you. Yeah. Thank you. Back at you, Chris. I mean, I, I've said, I think a lot of times I hope I've said it enough that this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you. And, um, I mean, there's no way that I could have gotten all this done without you. So I really appreciate doing it with you as well. And, um, I, as I've said before, this is, this has changed the way that I practice. This has changed the way that I see life and it's changed the way that, uh, I hope the way that I do life. Um, so yeah, what a, what a gift. What a gift. Um, what a gift. And I'm excited. I'm excited for what's coming. I, uh, we've got some great interviews lined mm-hmm. up, and um, I'm really looking forward to um, interviewing some more people and uh, bringing more stories to people. So, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Chris, for your half or more than half of what we do. And, uh, for for doing this with yeah, me. Yeah, thank you. 
It's a pleasure. It, it really is. It is. It has expanded my life, <laughs> my yeah. worldview, everything. Yeah. It's been so good. All right, here you go. Oh, to be 79. Diagnosed at 48. Cancer stage 4. Can't live anymore. Well, life is for the living. One week later, birthday 4-9. Can't speak without crying. First brain MRI. What did I aim for this life to be? Remind yourself. Replenish your mind. Oh, right. An elder of the block. He teaches the young short stories well spun with all the live long day to play any way. Who is this man of seven nine? I'll never know. I so wanted to know. He'd sit by his wife, reflect on the life that they shared and dared to live. Not much that needs to be said for Aaron, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was so great. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Thank yeah. you. This all started a few years back. Chris and I and our wives were sitting on the deck, sipping beers in the sun, one of my favorite activities. And I said this idea out loud for the first time. It felt like a risk. Because death is such a touchy subject, and not something everyone wants to hear about. But true to form, my people supported me, and each step along the way, the right people have crossed my path. Aaron, Nancy K, Nancy B, Linda, Jessica, Sia, each one perfectly timed, each story unique, each person insightful, fun, and funny. Each one brave and vulnerable, willing to share their story with all of you, strangers. What a true pleasure it's been to step into the world of each of these people, to learn from them, to see the glimpses of courage it takes to live life with a terminal illness. Not all of my guests this season have died. Several will continue to live for what I hope is a really long time. But I think this is still appropriate because a person need not die to be honored for what they've given us. Anytime a patient dies at the hospital and a family wants me to say a prayer or a blessing, I always end it this way. And so I'll end the first season of this podcast this way as well. May you honor these people, Aaron, Nancy K, Nancy B, Linda, Jessica and Constance, and Sia, by remembering what they've taught you. May you carry with you and embody the goodness that they have given you as you go and give it back to the world. May you live each day as if it's your last and with grace and courage, remember that one day it will be. This is Dying to Tell You.